Good morning to you. Hope you don't feel neglected in this campaign season, but uh, we, uh, we we don't forget how important what you do is. Let's get updated. Can we start with Iraq? A story this morning, they're running out of money in their fight against ISIS? Well, this is all uh, uh, related to the decline in the price of oil, Bill. But what's going on behind oh, the scenes, on one hand, we measure the price of oil. But on the other hand, we forget that for the last uh, 14 years or so, the Iraqi currency has been incredibly stable. It's been about 1,400 dinars to the dollar. Now, what's happened behind the scenes is the price of oil has declined. The, uh, the Iraqis have been tapping into their reserves. And there's a fear that as soon as they uh, have expended 80% of their reserves, for example, that suddenly their currency might simply lose value, lead to hyperinflation, and that's just going to throw fuel on the fire at a critical moment. I see. Uh, The headline that we read, I forget, Chris, where it was from. uh, I think it was the Telegraph. The Telegraph said, you know, while they're – it's a shame because they're winning. They're, They're making real strides against ISIS. Is that true? That is true. They have um, Good. taken back most of Al-Anbar. Uh, they're approaching Mosul. But here's the thing. Most of the Iraqi forces who are fighting the Islamic State, they're actually overwhelmingly volunteer forces who go in for 30 or 60 days. The group that's having trouble being cohesive against the Islamic State is, ironically, the Kurds, uh, because we've seen many of the Peshmerga, even at the front line, pick up and join this refugee flow to Europe, not because they're afraid of war so much, and more simply because they're economic migrants. Off point, I don't think I've asked you about this. I've asked other people, but you're such a astute observer of the international scene. This migration, uh, and we understand the plight of the people who are doing it, but given the situation in Europe, could this, could this be a real problem? I mean, it is a problem. Could this be the end of Europe? Um, I think think we're risking that in many ways. You know, one of the things that struck me is um, I I was in India at a conference the other day, and there was a British um, member of the European Parliament, a conservative, who pointed out that Europe spends something like 50% of international money on social welfare, whereas it only has 7% of the GDP or, or something like that. The point is that, in many ways, social welfare is killing these refugees because people are fleeing not war so much. The vast preponderance of the refugees who are going to Europe are simply going there rather than any place else much closer because of the welfare state, and they're taking tremendous risks, and many of them aren't making it. If Europe wasn't allowing people to um, have this, frankly, welfare package when they arrived, they might find that the refugees would stay closer to the Arab world. So they're not necessarily freeing terror, they're freeing their conditions, or running from their conditions into what they hope will be better conditions. Well, I mean, uh, yes. I mean, the Syrians are fleeing terror, but you have lots of Turkish Kurds, you have lots of Iraqi Kurds and others. Fair enough. And uh, we noticed that in Germany, for example, this morning there's a story that uh, Angela Merkel's taking some heat at the polls uh, because of this. People are voting against her in large numbers. Well, I mean, frankly, as she should when she stops representing the will of the electorate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's go to Iran. Um, Two missile uh, launches were talked about. One missile test, one last week that was actually happened, and now a threatened one or possible one into space. What's going on here, and is this a violation of uh, our sacred trust and agreement with the Iranians? 
Okay, well, there's two things going on here. First, very quickly, the Iranians have always used their space program as an excuse to test um, long-range ballistic missiles because the technology is the same. Then when it comes to um, whether or not this is a violation, this goes into the devil being in the details and just how, I mean, incompetent some of our negotiators were. What you have is the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is the Iran deal. This was incorporated in international law into the United Nations Security Council Resolution 2231. Here's the point, Bill. Where UN Security Council Resolution 2231, I, I mean, basically makes illegal these, these missile tests, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action is more or less silent on this. Then the key issue comes whether these missile tests are capable, these are missiles capable of delivering a nuclear warhead. They are. The Iranians will say, hey, it's a space program. The point is that when the Iranians say, hey, we might be violating the UN Security Council resolution, but we're not violating the nuclear deal, and if you, if you penalize us, even if we're violating the Security Council resolution, you're violating the nuclear deal, and we can walk away scot-free. I see. All right. So, um, all right. Uh, should we be walking away from this deal? I mean, at this point, the way the Obama administration has structured this is Iran got all of its payments up front. So if they do walk away from the deal, if we force them away from the deal, uh, ultimately they've gotten everything they need. The only thing that would, um, uh, that would be lifted would be any further constraints on Iran. At this point, those constraints evaporate well, within a decade anyway. But, but they don't take those restraints seriously, do they, either the future? No, they don't. Or... I mean, and here's the problem. I mean, it, the way the Obama administration structured this, it was like giving a five-year-old dessert first and then demanding they come and eat their spinach. Yeah. And yeah. if you want any sense of leverage, you basically calibrate the lifting and the unfreezing of assets to Iranian compliance, and that's not what Secretary of State John Kerry did, simply because Secretary of State John Kerry wanted the deal at all costs, and he wanted to hamstring anyone that came after him. Uh, Michael Rubin's our guest. You have a question for him about the situation either in Iran or Iraq or the Middle East generally. Give us a call. He'll stay. You can stay one more segment, Michael. Of course. Great. 866-680-6464. What should Kerry be saying right now? I see a couple of your essays, which we'll put up, linked to the site, talk about the Kerry responsibility at this point in time. I mean, the Kerry responsibility with regard to Iran is yes. he, what he should be doing and what he should have been doing all along is saying you have to give me a sweeter deal because you know that whoever comes next, whether it's Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, called for renewed sanctions on Iran uh, just the other day because of these missile tests, or whether it's any of the Republicans, they're going to give you a much harder time. What Kerry is instead doing, instead of using that as leverage, he's basically saying he, he's rolling over and the Iranians are playing him, trying to get as much as possible. Uh, I, I mean, it really is unbelievable. It's, it, it's a sign of someone who never had anything to do with any serious business. Yeah. Um, and, and, Bill, if I could just note, in the, sure. um, what, the, the statistics I was looking for before with regard to the European Union and social welfare – is the European Union accounts for just over 7% of the world's population, 25% of its economy, and 50% of the world's social welfare spending. Wow. That's what's wow. driving the um, refugee flow. Read those three again. Tris, write these down, please. Go ahead. Okay. It's 7% of the world's population, 25% of the European Union. European Union. 
Correct. 7% of the world's population. 25% of its economy. 25% of its economy. Pretty good chunk. And 50% of the world's social welfare spending. Wow. Do you know how, how the U.S. stacks up on that same scale? I don't. But the source on this would be Jeffrey Von Orden, a British member of the European Parliament. But I believe also Angela Merkel has used the same figures. I'd love to know where we are on that. That's fascinating. 7%, 25%, 50%. Yeah, no wonder they're no wonder they're running uh, no wonder they're running in that direction. Um, is are they? Uh, let's just stay on it for a second. Are they going to stop this? Are they going to stop the flow? If they don't, they're going to be buried, aren't they? Well, they are. But there's something else going on. I mean, when I was at this debate in which we had some people like a Ghanaian uh, Dutch citizen who was saying hey, this is all human rights law, international humanitarian law. We have to receive them with open arms. The fact of the matter is the way the law is written is if you're fleeing, the first place you step foot in the European Union right. is where you stop. Right. And the fact that they're being allowed into the interior is just killing the, the whole point of the European that, Union, the visa-free travel. And that would be Greece, Macedonia for a lot of them, wouldn't it? That would be Greece. That would be okay. uh, Italy. Pause. Okay, they, they simply can't move forward. We'll be back with Michael Rubin. Call your calls. We'll be back with uh, politics here after this segment. Uh, Super Tuesday 3 tomorrow. But let's uh, finish our discussion with Michael Rubin um, because what he's talking about is so important. Um, I, quickly, I, 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 we've got several uh, calls. I want to ask people to be brief so we can get them on. But, but any other lesson that Kerry should have learned different from what you said from North Korea? Oh, well, you know, Bill, absolutely. And one of the problems with the whole North Korea deal is when that deal started to unravel, and within months, the, the reaction of the State Department to the General Accounting Office and others who exposed the North Korean cheating was that the problem was that we were holding the North Koreans to too high of a standard not the fact that they Got were cheating and taking advantage of us. So when it. it came to the Iran deal, what they basically did was erase all these standards. And so we had with the International Atomic Energy Agency report, a report which was watered down to the point the State Department doesn't even know whether or not okay. Iran has any stockpile 20% uranium left. 